Hey everyone, this is Prashant and I'll be your host for the VC 10X podcast and today we have Will Sachs with us. Will is a founder and CEO at Falcom Venture Accelerator where they are helping mission-driven founders raise their seed rounds. In this episode, we cover everything you need to know about startup fundraising from how to prepare your pitch deck, how to find your ideal VCs, how to reach out to VCs, how to close your round on the best terms, perspective on down rounds and a lot more. If you are a founder looking to fundraise, even in future this is a must listen so without wasting any time let's dive straight in hey will so good to have you on the vc to next podcast how are you doing yeah hi prashant i'm doing great thank you thanks for having me it's great to be here yeah pleasure hosting you and just to start things off, uh, what's your story and why you started Falcrum Venture Accelerator? Well, my story, well, I, um, I studied engineering in college and fell in love with creating things. And uh, coming out of college, I, we, we created a solar-powered race car that we raced from Chicago to Los Angeles across the United States. Um, and this was an incredible experience for me because it was the first time like, creating, seeing something in our minds and then creating it and uh, having it be real. So after that, I started a lighting company. Um, and then I started a company called Kendara, which is a women's health company that helps women understand their fertility cycles to either get pregnant or avoid pregnancy naturally. And I ran that for seven years and we did the whole VC track. So we raised about $9 million and we sold to another women's health company in 2018. Um, and we made a beautiful piece of hardware, a connected Bluetooth thermometer for women to help them have a seamless experience of tracking their bodies. And uh, and again, it was an experience of creating something, you know, from nothing, from from seeing a vision in our minds and then making it real. So, um, yeah, I I loved both those experiences. And that when I finished Kendara, when I was out of Kendara, I started working with other founders who were in the early stages of creating businesses or products and really enjoyed it. And so that turned into Fulcrum where we are now working with uh, cohorts of around 20 founders at a time, helping founders get the seed capital they need to go build whatever it is they're building. And usually these are mission-driven companies that have some sort of positive vision that they want to impart to the world or some product that they want to bring the world. And we teach them how to raise seed capital. Because I found that that is a, it's a crucial part of the process and something that is really misunderstood and under, uh, underappreciated in terms of how to do it generally. Absolutely. I totally, totally agree. Uh, fundraising is a big part of uh, like having a venture scale startup and you need to know how to do it well in order to ensure that your company does well. And, uh, like, uh, and I would like to learn more about your fundraising experience because I believe this accelerator is kind of built at the back of uh, how you made that fundraise for Kendara and now all the way through to exit. So it would be interesting to learn uh, how did you navigate the world of fundraising and how you're using that information to help other founders. Yeah, great question. So uh, in terms of our fundraising at Kendara, we started with a $100,000 friends and family round. And then we did a $350,000 angel round. And then we did like a $650,000 angel round another $700,000 angel round. Um, and then I got tired of raising angel rounds because the company was always running out of money. Like as soon as I would raise these rounds, we would hire a couple people. And then 
three or four months later, I'd be back out fundraising again. So I never had the time to really focus on executing on the product. And so I, I just decided, I said, okay, now we need to raise a proper seed round, like a two or $3 million seed round. Um, by that point, we had, had designed and started to sell on pre-orders our connected fertility thermometer. And so we needed a bigger amount of capital to actually deliver that product. And so at that point, I decided, you know, I'm going to stop focusing on angels and I'm really going to focus on VCs. And, and so I just started networking my butt off and meeting everybody I could in the world of startups and funding, getting introductions and being on the road. I was on the road for weeks and weeks, uh, traveling to New York, going to San Francisco, going to the, the South Bay, Silicon Valley area, going to Chicago, going back to Colorado. Um, I think I even flew to Korea once when Samsung emailed me and said, Hey, we want to talk to you. So I went to Seoul and talked to Samsung, which was a really cool experience. Um, yeah, and just brought the round together. And what I realized through doing that process is that there's a predictable set of steps in every fundraise. And if you follow those steps, you can drastically increase your chances of success. And what I see is that most founders don't even realize that there's a set of steps. And so they're kind of going about it in a haphazard way and hoping for the best and making a lot of mistakes. And the statistics are not in founders' favor. It's something like 1% of startups end up raising VC capital. So if you're going to be part of that 1%, it's not by chance, uh, usually. You have to either learn through the school of hard knocks like I did, which took a couple of years and you know a lot of brain and mind dollars, um, or you find somebody who knows how to do it and, they, and ask them to teach you. Um, and that's what we're doing at Fulcrum is we're teaching founders the steps and then actually leading them through the steps so that they can, by the end of being in one of our programs, have raised money and understood the steps to raise money so they can go forward and raise as much money as they want for the rest of their careers as an entrepreneur. Absolutely. And uh, I see the emphasis that you put on uh, the term steps. So c- can you kind of give us an overview? What are these steps uh, one by one? Uh, and what do they entail at a high level? For sure. So we teach a five-step fundraising process um, at Fulcrum, and this is the process that I used. <clears throat> and the steps we break down into a, an agricultural or a farming metaphor. So the steps are tilling, planting, watering, harvesting, and closing. And the idea is that everybody wants to raise right now. Like I hear this all the time. People come into our, our sphere of influence and they say, you know, I need to raise the money next week or I need to raise the money next month. And typically that, that doesn't work because you haven't done the preparatory steps to be able to close around. And so we use an agricultural metaphor because it's the same. If you, if you have a field and you want your corn or your grain tomorrow, well, the only way that's going to happen is if you prepared the soil, you've planted the seeds, you've watered that corn, and now it's ready for harvest. Otherwise, there's, you're just not going to be able to, um, to have any corn or any grain. So the steps are broken down in that way to really drive home that point that it's a process and you can't skip any of these steps. You got to do them one at a time. Uh, you can do them quickly, but you, you can't skip them. And so 
Tilling is about preparing yourself internally for the raise. And that means getting your story straight and doing all the research that you need to do so that you understand your opportunity, you understand it from the investor's standpoint, and you know how to talk about what you're doing in a way that is compelling and clear and concise. So when you get to that point, if, you, if you're not at that point, you shouldn't be doing meetings and talking to people because you're not going to get yeses if you're not internally to that point of certainty. And then planting is about preparing your tools for your raise. So that means uh, getting your funnels figured out and getting your pitch deck dialed and getting all the visual stuff that you're going to need to show people and showcase your opportunity in a way that gets them excited. And then heart, uh, watering is about doing meetings. So once you've got the internal certainty and you've got all your materials together, you're, you're into watering and that's just about doing meetings, doing meetings, 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 meetings. And every meeting you do, you learn from that meeting about what went well and what could have gone better. And you'll often get questions as a founder that you don't know the answer to in these meetings. And so every time you get a question that you don't know the answer to, you want to go back and make sure you have a good answer to that question next time. And so in watering, it's this process of uh, ref getting refined and getting, uh, getting tempered by the questions and the comments and the feedback that you're getting in meetings. And the whole point of watering is getting to the point where you have a lead investor, signing on a lead investor. So that could take a week, it could take a month, it could take three months, it could take six months, it could take nine months, it could take longer. Um, and of course, you're working on your business at the same time and, and keeping momentum going. So then once you have your lead investor uh, signed on, then you move into harvesting. And harvesting is about filling out the rest of your round. And so that's you're continuing to doing meetings. Uh, at this point, you're probably communicating, hey, we've got so-and-so, they're a great uh, lead that's going to be our lead investor, and we've got half of our round or third of our round committed already, and we're filling out the rest. And harvesting is really about creating momentum for the raise and some some element of FOMO for anybody who is considering investing because at this point you have a lead and you should have a lot of momentum happening because you've done all these meetings in watering. And then once you've got more people committed to your round and you have space in your round, uh, then you move into closing. And then it's time to say, okay, the round is fully subscribed. We are now closing. Here's the documents for everybody to sign. Here's the wire instructions to send the money. We're closing on this date. And as a CEO, you've got to rally everybody around the close and actually get it closed. And, you know, the, the, the harsh reality of this whole process is that the whole thing could fall apart at any moment. Like there could be some sort of geopolitical event. The lead investor could, you know, anything, anything could happen until the money is in the bank and the docs are signed. So when you're in closing, you really want to get through that phase quickly and get everybody to wire the money so that you can close the round. Uh, and then crack some champagne and celebrate and remember that when you raise money, it's the end of your fundraise, but it's just the beginning of, of your execution and building a product that is compelling. And, um, it's going to get a return for the investors. So those are the five steps and broad strokes. Absolutely. And uh, it's, it's great how you have kind of break, broken down the entire fundraising process and made it into a science in a way that, okay, this is how you do it in a step-by-step -step way. That's great. Yeah. It's, um, so I'll just say one thing on that. It's like uh, a recipe for baking a cake. So if, you know, if 
I'm not a, I'm not intuitively good at baking. I don't know if anybody is intuitively good at baking. Uh, but when you have a recipe and you follow the recipe, you end up with a nice cake. If you don't have a recipe, you know, chances are that cake is going to look pretty sad. Absolutely. And one, one more important question that founders often face is, what is the right time to fundraise? And you mentioned this problem in our conversation uh, till now that, okay, I, I didn't, I like founders actually come to raise when they only have runway of maybe one or two months left, right? So uh, what do you suggest? What's the right time to start fundraising for your startup? And how forward looking should you be when you're raising funds? Like, should you be raising for the next year or maybe two to three years? And also how it depends on how the ecosystem is behaving. Yeah, well, I think, you know, assuming that you have a fundable startup, that you're working on something scalable that that could generate the kind of returns that investors would be would be expecting, um, I think you should be as forward-looking as possible because what's the number one thing that kills companies? It's running out of money. Sorry, the company's still alive. As long as there's money in the bank, the company's still alive. But once there's no money in the bank, the company's dead. So it's either, the only thing that kills companies is the founders give up and they, or the, or it runs out of money, right? So it's the number one thing that kills companies. And so you do want to look down the track and say, you know, it, it feels good to have 24 months of runway or 36 months of runway. Uh, it means you can execute, you can be frugal with your cash and you can just get, keep your heads down and execute on the product, learn how to get customers excited and, and buying. So <clears throat> fundraising is a massive distraction to actually executing on the business. And so, yeah, I think looking down the track as far as you can and trying to plan it out and not getting into a situation where you've got three months of runway and you need to close around because that, that just doesn't feel good for the founder. It adds a bit of desperation into the mix, which everybody can kind of feel at the end of the day, but sometimes you got to do it. You know, I, I ended up in that situation, but if it can be avoided, it, it's best to avoid it. So it's best to look and say, hey, if I've got six months of runway, I need to be fundraising now. If I've got nine months of runway, I could be fundraising now. Um, if I've got a year or 18 months, maybe I have a few months to execute. But generally, if you can, yeah, if you can keep a year or more of runway in the bank, that feels good. Absolutely. And one more important thing, all the time too. It can take, you know, sometimes it can take six months. Absolutely. And Another important aspect of fundraising is uh, the pitch deck. That's the document that gets to your investors before you get to see them face to face, even right. So, what would be, what what are the things that an ideal pitch deck should contain, and how concise or informative should a pitch deck really be? So, this is a this is a, a misunderstood area, I would say. So, most founders, when they're doing this for the first time, they think that they're going to have one set of slides. And that's going to be the pitch deck and that they're going to use that in all different, they're going to use that to email to an investor. They're going to use that to present. Uh, and that's, that's not the best, that's not the best way to do it. Um, and the reason is because when you email a set of slides to an investor, well, they're going to read them on the, on their computer. You're not going to be there to be able to explain anything. Um, when you are presenting, like maybe you had a third you're in your second or third meeting with a VC fund and they ask you to come in and present, you're going to be presenting some slides and you want the investor to actually be paying attention to you and not the slides and not trying to read the slides. So what we teach in Fulcrum is to have at least two versions of your 
slides, one for emailing to people and one for presenting. And when you're emailing, you've got more words on there um, and it's much more concise. Like when you, when you're sending a first email and you're including some slides, you don't want to include that much information because you want the investor to be curious and be compelled to ask you to have a conversation or a meeting. So your only goal in emailing slides is to get a next meeting. Um, and so for that pitch deck, which we call an email deck in Fulcrum, your email deck, you want it to be very simple, very clear. You want it to, there to be no ambiguity about what you're building right off the bat. And you just want to give people enough so that they understand what it is. They understand the big picture of why it's exciting. And then they're left with some curiosity to want to dig in a little more. And then when you're actually in person with somebody and presenting, then you want a more, probably a longer presentation, but with almost no words. Uh, and so you can speak over these slides that are just illustrating your actual pitch. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a very interesting insight. Uh, like, uh, I believe that that's definitely one of the mistakes that founders would be making, that having the same set of slides that they're sending over to investors via email and also using the same one for uh, like presenting themselves as well. And this a good nuance that you should have two separate decks, one for just sending over with the best information possible, which is kind of standalone, right? It doesn't need a person narrating the story with it. And another one where you are presenting. And like once you have your pitch deck prepared, the next and, and you're ready, let's say you're ready to start pitching investors. At that point, the next goal is to find the right VCs for you, right? Uh, because not all VCs would be the ideal fit because like fundraising is a hectic practice and it can take a lot of time. So you want to maximize your chances of getting in. Whoever you're pitching to actually has a thesis which kind of fits where your startup is, right? So how does a startup uh, find the ideal VCs that they should be pitching to? Well, I would say first pitch a lot of people in your life that aren't investors uh, so that you can get your pitch. You, like you want to make sure that people understand exactly what it is that you're building right away. And you want to make sure that people understand why it's exciting and the big, the big picture potential of what it is. And so I would say pitch a lot of people who aren't on your A-list first to make sure that after they see your presentation, they feel, wow, this is exciting. Like I get it. I love how you presented it. I get the big picture story. Um, and so that would be my, my first comment. And then in terms of VCs, it's all like the right investors for your opportunity. It's all about alignment. So if you're building an e-commerce company in, uh, in Canada, you want to find VCs that love e-commerce and want to invest in Canada or have a track record of investing in Canada. If you're building some, you know, if you're building a, a hardware product in Europe, you want to find investors who are comfortable, would be comfortable with that scenario. Um, if you're in India, you know, you're going to want to find investors who invest in India um, and are interested in your vertical. So you can usually find that information. It's easily available on websites of most funds or you can use Crunchbase um, or other online resources to make a list. And usually what we counsel is founders to make an A-list, B-list, and a C-list. And so your A-list is your, the investors that you'd be most excited to work with. B-list is you know one step down and the C-list is one step down. And what I counsel is to start with the B-list 
And once you've got the B list kind of excited and interested and your pitch is resonating, because it takes a while to get a pitch to the point where it's really dialed, then move to your A list uh, and then move to your C list. And hopefully through doing it that way, you get enough people interested at the same time that there's a little bit of competition. And when you've got competition, that's when rounds get closed. If there's no competition, it, it, it can drag on forever. Absolutely. Yeah, that's definitely a very amazing insight there. And like, let's say we have our perfect pitch deck ready, our perfect pitch ready. We have found the ideal investors. Now the next part is starting to reach out to these uh, VCs that we want to fundraise from, right? So what would be the best way to fundraise? Should uh, founders directly just cold email them or should they go out looking for warm intros? What's the ideal approach? Yeah, warm intros are the best. You know, the best possible intro is to be introduced by a CEO or actually by another investor. So probably the best intro is another investor saying, hey, you know, you need to talk to Prashant. I, what he's building is awesome. I just invested. That's that's the best. Next down from that is like a portfolio CEO. So somebody being like, hey, somebody, uh, a CEO who's been funded by that investor introducing you to that investor and saying, hey, I talked to Prashant. I love what he's building. You know, check it out. <clears throat> and then it just goes down from there. It's like the more an investor know, likes, and trusts whoever it is that's introducing you, the better your pre-frame is going to be walking into that meeting. Um, if the investor is like, hey, I just met Will you know, at the grocery store and he seems like a nice guy. You should talk to him. That is, that's lower on the, on the scale of good intros. So warm intros are best and the warmer the better. And, and then if you can't get a warm intro, which you often can't because you just, you know, you can, you can hustle and try and get introduced and do coffee meetings and say, hey, who do you know? Or research portfolio CEOs and see if they'll talk to you and give you an intro. And that's what I recommend everybody do. And that's what makes fundraising so time consuming. Is you're just meeting and convincing and enrolling and meeting and enrolling and meeting and enrolling. <clears throat> and then sometimes you just can't get a warm intro. And if you can't at the end of the day get a warm intro, then I would only then would I say do a cold outreach. Um, and in cold outreach, you want it to be super brief. You want it to be really personalized and you want, to, you want to show where there's alignment. So like I get all kinds of cold outreach emails because people think that Fulcrum Venture Accelerator is a fund or they just, you know, they, they scrape Crunchbase and they find us and then they email us, um, which is great for us because we love to meet founders who are raising money. Um, and eventually, you know, we're working on raising a fund, but I get all kinds of like just totally generic cold outreach emails and i think those don't work in general um, maybe it's just a volume game you got to send ten thousand of them and you get 10 meetings or something which may, maybe those 10 meetings are worth it but you're also kind of maybe hurting your reputation with everybody else who's getting that email it's just putting it in the trash so a really good cold outreach email is very dialed and personalized like hey bob um, I've been following you for the last six months. I saw that you just invested in X company and Y company um, and that you have a belief in the future of e-commerce. Uh, I read your article that you published in Forbes and I felt compelled to reach out because I think what we're working on will be of interest to you. You know, we're building XYZ. We have this much traction. This is where we're at. Would love to, 
would love to make a connection and show you more. Something like that is very personalized, right? It shows the person that you're, you know who they are, you've done your research, you think that there's a lot of alignment and you're giving them a reason to say yes. So that's how to do cold outreach. But I think it's at the bottom of the list in terms of the best way to get in front of an investor. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and like once you're in there in a meeting, uh, have you identified what are some of the common common questions that VCs tend to ask founders uh, or maybe counters uh, that uh, founders need to have answers to? Like, are, are there some of these like common questions that VCs mostly use to like dig into the founders and try to get under the skin, st- stuff like that? Well, uh, for sure. So as the founder, your goal should be to have a really good answer for every question you could possibly be asked. Um, and you can go on the internet and Google like 300 questions uh, that investors ask founders. There's a list. Somebody, there's multiple lists of 100 questions and somebody made a list of 300 questions. So that's a lot, right? If you, if you spend one minute on your answer for each of those 300 questions, that's still what, like five hours of your time. Um, so you want to have a really good answer for every question. That's, that's the bottom line because if you don't have a good answer, it means you haven't thought about that yet. And if you haven't thought about it, why haven't you thought about it? Like it's your job to protect the investor's capital and to shepherd it into creating a return. And to do that, you need to have done your research. Sometimes the answer will be, I don't know the answer to that specific question yet because you know we haven't launched our product yet, but here's what I do know. You know, Here's the customer interviews we did. Here's what we learned from that. So you want to you want to have an answer to every question, um, and then at at its simplest, what investors want to know is what are you building? Uh, why is it a big opportunity, and how are you going to be the best at at that and keep other people from coming and encroaching on your territory? So you should be able to communicate that quickly. Like with Kindara, I think my opening was um, Kindara is a fertility platform or sorry, a fertility app and a connected Bluetooth thermometer that helps women get pregnant quickly and easily at one one hundredth the cost of traditional fertility treatments. And so that's what we're building. And then why is this a big opportunity? I'd say it's a $6 billion market in the United States and it's growing quickly and we're going to be the fastest and cheapest option. And then how are we going to win? I would say we have the best user experience and we're building hardware, which is hard. And so no one is going to be able to come and do it better than us. And, and so you want to be able to just communicate it that, that succinctly. And we see founders like it's so painful, Prashant. Um, there's so many, so many founders, they'll talk for like three minutes. And then after three minutes, the investor will say, sorry, I'm confused. I don't know what it is that you're doing. And that's, that's what you just, that's the worst case scenario because if the investor doesn't understand what it is then every word you're that's coming out of your mouth is just a word wasted there's no excitement you can't get excited about something if you don't know what it is yeah i completely yeah i completely agree and another like a big factor in like the fundraise is going to be the kind of valuation you're going to ask for and then the negotiation process and then the valuation you're going to eventually get right so uh, what do you think is the ideal maybe revenue multiple or how should how should founders basically derive at the correct valuation for their startups? Yeah, well, I would say valuation is not as important as a lot of people think it is. And 
and founders tend to focus on it. And I don't think it's the most important thing. Um, what's the most, the most important thing is who are you partnering with? Like who's going to lead the round and maybe take a board seat or take a more active role as the investor. That's much more important than valuation. Like I would, I would much rather have Sequoia at a lower valuation if I love, if I like the partner, saw like they were going to be a really good ally than some, uh, very not well-known like new fund. It doesn't have a lot of connections at a higher valuation because it it's just not the most important thing. The valuation needs to go up over time and it needs to make sense for the deal. Um, and, and, and so that's one comment. Another strange thing is that the more money you raise, the higher your valuation will be. So typically in every round, investors want to own between 15 and 30% of the equity. Um, so let's just say 20% as a as an easy round number. So if you're raising a million dollars, your valuation is likely to be around $5 million post money. Uh, if you're raising $2 million, your valuation is likely to be like eight, eight to 10 post money. If you're raising three, it's likely to be like, you know, 10 to 15. Uh, if you're raising half a million dollars, your valuation is likely to be three, three to four, something like that. So that's a weird thing that the more money you raise, the higher your valuation is going to be. It's it, it's because partially the economics have to work for the investor in terms of how much of the deal uh, they're going to be they're going to be getting, like how much equity they're going to be getting, um, and also the simple fact that with more cash in the bank, startups are less risky and therefore more valuable. And so the valuation is probably going to be set by how much money you're raising more than. Um, by the, the founder. And then the other thing is, I don't know if you guys have Craigslist in India, um, but I'm sure you have like these classifieds. Like imagine you're selling, you know, like a dining room table or something. If you've only got one buyer, you only got one person who wants to buy that thing. Um, you're probably not going to, you don't have a lot of leverage on the price. If they're, they're going to make you an offer and you're going to either have to accept it or not, right? You got no leverage. If you've got three people who want the table, you can you can stand firm on your price and probably get it. Maybe you can, maybe you can even get them in a bidding war and you can get a higher price than you had thought you could get. And it's the same with valuation. If you only have one fund that is interested in leading your round and is going to set the valuation with you, you don't have any leverage. Um, somebody once said it to me in sales, if you have one buyer, you have no buyers. So it really helps to have multiple funds that want to lead because you then have leverage on the price and you can get a better valuation. You won't get squeezed as a founder. And so how do you do that? You got to get those funds interested at the same time, uh, which, which is challenging. Uh, and the way to do that is to run a really tight process around it. Because if you've got one fund interested in November, another fund interested in December, and a third fund interested in January, well, then you only, it's the same as with the table. You know, if you have one person interested in, in November, one in December, one in January, you still don't have any leverage. You've got to get them all interested at the same time. And that was something that I learned just through experience. And we see that over and over again. VCs tend to categorize deals into, in their head as into like either, hey, this is interesting. Or, you know, no, I'm going to pass. And when other funds are interested, it tends, those deals tend to get categorized as, hey, this is interesting, let's dig in. 
And so that's why it's like the 1% of deals that VCs are fighting over are because there's multiple funds that are interested. And then the 99% of deals that don't get funded are, there's just no pressure. They're, they're deals where there's only one buyer at a time. So that's the number one thing. You know, it's a weird, it's a weird reality, but that's, that's how it works. Absolutely. That That's an amazing insight uh, to learn that you need to be able to create that kind of a hype or environment around it that everyone wants to get in at the same time, right? It has to be that energy. And that's why I believe the founder needs to have that ability that they need to be good at sales and need to be able to create that urgency that this thing is hot right now. You want it, yeah. get it now, right? Amazing. Exactly. Yeah. And it's like, like hotcakes. Like these are hot. Delicious. Yeah. <laughs> you need to, you're not going to want to wait. You want to get one now. Take two, take a whole bag. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, like looking at the fundraising environment right now, like it's uh, going through kind of like a downturn. So what would be your advice for fundraising in a difficult fundraising environment when there is not as much capital being deployed on as lenient terms as it was before? Uh, so what's going to be your tips to you know, navigate this difficult fundraising environment and also your perspective on down rounds. Should founders take down rounds or not? Uh, yeah. So we did a, an event recently on this called How to Raise in an Economic Downturn. So if anybody's interested, you can go on our website and watch that. It's an hour long conversation that I had with um, Simon from Relay Ventures and, and uh, one of our mentors, um, Dylan Robbins. But essentially what what we're seeing is that valuations are down, that there was probably a little bit of euphoria in the market and companies were raising big rounds at high valuations. And now that seems to be over. And so there's a lot of companies that have raised at high valuations and are now needing to come to the, the hard reality that they're not going to be able to raise their next round at a higher valuation. So that's hard because if you do a down round, it's a bad signal. It makes it harder going forward to to raise more because you get categorized as a, a distress, a company in distress. And the typical track that all investors are looking for is an ever-increasing valuation and an eventual exit, that the company is executing, getting better, more valuable, and that there's a, going to be an exit at an even higher valuation in the future. Once you get off that track and you're now, you know, you went up, you went down, it's just a harder sell for investors to get on board, um, to keep going. So it's hard for founders if you can avoid doing a down round uh, and just keep the terms as this, at the same level as your last round, that's, I would say, better. And if you're raising the first capital into your company, you just might have to be okay with a lower valuation and and, you know, like I said before, valuation is not the most important thing. The most important thing is getting the money in the bank quickly so you can get back to building the product and getting customers. Absolutely. And uh, talking about uh, Falcrum Venture Accelerator, so can you like briefly tell us how you help or maybe handhold founders into doing their best at fundraising, basically, and where can founders who are interested can apply to join your accelerator? Yeah, so... The accelerator program that we run came out of my experience of raising myself and then helping other founders raise one-on-one. -on -one. And I essentially discovered that 
founders need to know what to do. So they need to understand the process. Um, they need to have the right psychology so that they're entering into this process with confidence. Uh, they need to be able to execute the process and then they need the right access to investors and to other resources. And so at Fulcrum, we give founders all four of those things. We teach the psychology, we teach the process, we actually help founders move through the process and execute, and then we connect founders with investors when they're ready. So the goal is to give founders everything that they need to succeed at raising a seed round, and then we take a little bit of equity uh, as part of the process so that when they succeed, we have a, we're building a portfolio of companies that are succeeding and building cool stuff. So um, that's how it works. Our founders get put into groups, uh, uh, cohorts. So our next cohort is launching on March 23rd. I'm not sure when this show is coming out, but March 23rd, 2023. And then uh, we typically do them every three months. So there'll be another one in June, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, each founder is paired with a mentor and our fulcrum mentors are, are successful entrepreneurs who've raised more than $500 million in the market. Um, and we offer founders a million dollars in perks. If you get into the program, you get access to all kinds of different perks for different software companies uh, that we've negotiated to make it easier for the founder to execute. And yeah, some of the, you know, we have an alumni network now of successful founders. And when you get accepted into Fulcrum, you become part of our community. And uh, some of those relationships are now multi-year relationships and my goal is to build a community of entrepreneurs and mentors and investors who are all helping to create the world that we want to live in. So um, if anybody is out there raising, you can go to fulcrumventureaccelerator.com and uh, learn more about what we do. Absolutely. I'll make sure to put that link in the show notes so that our listeners can get there easily. And uh, another interesting aspect about uh, Will, which we haven't covered in this episode since it's more venture focused, is that he's a very interesting personality and that he also... Uh, has interest in music and creates his own music so you all should also get, go and check out check that out so i'll try to plug that also in in the show notes so that our listeners can go listen and vibe to some of your music as well uh thank you so much for coming on will and it was a pleasure to see you thanks for having me it's been it's been a great conversation i hope it's helpful thank you yeah it was thank you for coming on mm-hmm.